Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll discuss Summer League in Las Vegas and be joined by National NBA writer Sam Amick. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. I know it's been a few weeks since Vegas, finally getting to this podcast. It's been a very busy offseason for the Pacers with a lot of news, injury updates, an entire new coaching staff, a shakeup with the Mad Ants, and much more. And we're just over two weeks now from the start of training camp. In Indianapolis, as players are already here in Indy, the majority of the team gearing up for the 21-22 season that tips off in mid-October. But before we get into all that on a future podcast, let's talk about what the experience was like in Summer League. It returned, thankfully, uh, and I do appreciate that because I sorely missed it last year. Vegas is great. It's essentially the NBA's annual convention. Players are out there. Every single team, it's where deals go down, uh, it's where individuals are promoted, it's where players catch up with front offices, training staffs are all out there, and so it's an opportunity for the medical staff to work with current players that they maybe haven't seen for a few months, um, to get in touch and get comfortable with some of the newer players, the rookies, those types of things. And there's also conventions out there for other staff members, like the stats crew is hearing from things, the, the marketing offices from every single team is getting together. And so after last year did not happen because of COVID, it was good to be out there and be one of the media members able to cover the team, the only one there covering the Pacers. I'll get into that here in just a second. From the Pacers' standpoint, they did have five of what I call the core players out there. I mentioned that to Mike Weiner, the assistant coach for the Pacers, had summer league coach. He was like, I don't know about core. I don't know what you mean by core. Everybody is wearing a Pacer uniform. We're all core, summer league guys and us. But I think all of you get what I'm saying. Those with guaranteed contracts, those with contracts, full NBA deals, not guys on training camp deals or you know just trying to make it uh, at Summer League. Five Pacers were out there. Miles Turner, he rented an Airbnb, and it's been one of his many stops this offseason. Good for him. He's been well-traveled, and I'm kind of jealous, to be honest. He's uh, been all over working on his house in Austin, gutting that, making it look just right. Idaho, I think Wyoming. Colorado, certainly. Uh, so good for him. Karis LeVert was out there. TJ Warren was spotted. Tory Craig. Keelan Martin, which was great. Uh, the entire coaching staff, even Lloyd Pierce, joined the Pacers staff for the first time after he arrived in Los Angeles with Team USA after getting their gold medal. He came straight to Vegas saying, you know, what's the point of going home to Atlanta for him? Uh, he had not settled in at Indy just yet. Had really not been to Indy since taking the job with the Pacers because of his responsibilities with Team USA, which kept him from basically the start of July all the way there to mid-August. He was out there talking. I saw him talking uh, during the first half with Carousel Vert, with Miles Turner during the second half. Before the games, privately, they would work out the guys in a a gym 
Uh, that's obviously off limits to us. Didn't get to watch those, but that's the reason so many players, too, go out there to be with each other, socialize, certainly, have some fun, but also uh, revisit things with their coaches and, and that type of stuff. As for me, I'm there to cover the team, to do interviews, and such a great feeling to be able to do interviews once again in person. The first opportunity I had, I think it was 500 and some days, was at the St. Vincent Center the day after the draft. Got to talk with members of the front office, the coaching staff like Rick Carlisle, and then the two first-round picks, Chris Duarte and Isaiah Jackson. Then probably a week later, return for the announcement of T.J. McConnell re-signing with the Pacers, which was great for him. Got to visit finally with his dad for a story that you'll read about upcoming on FieldhouseFiles.com. And again, if you haven't subscribed, that's where most of my work is going, on social media, but primarily on FieldhouseFiles.com, where I'm generally writing five, six times a week during most parts. It's gone a little slower here as I'm trying to catch my breath as just a couple weeks uh, leading up to training camp, but can't recommend enough FieldhouseFiles.com for all my written uh, work right there for you. Let me take you through the post-game experience. There's two gyms, Thomas and Mack, as well as the Cox Pavilion. Right there near the Strip in Las Vegas. It's on the campus of UNLV, and it is just scorching hot there. I'm talking feels like 115. You just do not want to be outside. You're not walking the Strip other than maybe after 10 p.m. at night. Uh, It's just not tolerable, quite frankly. And so you you either got to rent a car or you're Ubering or taking a lift places. Anyway. After the games, let's go with Thomas and Mac first. Work my way down the stands. Normally, there's that end zone. I think it's on the north end where media covering that game, the beat reporters for that game, can sit right there in rows one and two along with a couple of select national media members. Others just standing in those back couple of rows, basically socializing. It's the pit. Guys hanging out, catching up. It could be agents. It's a lot of media members, front office members etc. Just chatting. Then you go down a narrow hallway to the back, kind of the garage entry point. And back there, in these times, there's two distinct areas set up. By the way, to your right, you pass NBA radio going live on Sirius XM. But there's two stations, probably about 30 foldable chairs set up, and then a stool for the coach and the players to talk into a probably a 50-inch monitor, if not to those there in attendance and for the Pacers I was the only one there which kind of made me feel proud but also kind of sad Pacers need more coverage they need more marketing they need more spotlight and more people around but nonetheless that's how it went they would answer questions right there in person first then go to the zoom questions and then so on and so forth now at Cox Pavilion much different normally these are very low-key. We're talking picture a high school gym and how you curl around uh, the bleachers there. Maybe there's a spare basket, uh, people hanging out, that type of thing. It's the same sort of situation here at the Cox Pavilion, the second gym. And there, uh, instead of ducking behind the bleachers and kind of doing your interviews real quick because it's very loud, there's music blasting, there's whistles, there's A lot of people talking. Well, in this situation, you actually take stairs, probably down three flights of stairs of the basement. It's, I think, where their locker room experience was. I certainly saw someone doing laundry in there. Anyway, you turn around the corner, and there's about four, maybe six foldable chairs for each station, and that's it. 
um, separated by a curtain. The awkward part for those being interviewed is you can easily hear what's going on on the other side, meaning if I'm the Pacers answering a question, I can hear what the Hawks are saying about you and about the game. A little bit awkward. It's just Summer League, not that big a deal. But I did want to walk you through that. But the place is just so hot in Vegas. You're mostly inside all day. And where I stayed... The fortunate thing was there's NBA personnel everywhere. I think I've said this on a couple of radio shows and such, but I kept running into Brian Shaw, the Pacers' former associate head coach, and Ty Lue, both with the Clippers, now almost everywhere. Whether it was at dinner, I can remember distinctly. Walk past the craps table, uh, there they were. Alf getting drinks, there they were. That's the type of thing you like about being in Vegas. It's the hot spot, and I mean that from a, a social connecting, reconnecting with these people quote-unquote, off hours, right? So to my right was Chauncey Billups walking by. There's Popeye Jones holding court at a table talking with several people. And then late night, a lot of that was just mostly us reporters catching up. I hadn't seen any of these people in over a year. So just selfishly, that was a lot of fun, comparing notes. I was there with, uh, you know, the Athletics Mavericks reporter Tim Cato and we were exchanging notes about what to expect from Rick Carlisle and what he's like to deal with and how he handles situations those sort of things and then I'm talking Pacers stuff with other people and what went wrong with Nate Bjorkren and then are we we're talking about Ben Simmons it's just a great time and uh, most of you probably are in in Indy or follow the NFL combine it's basically that for the NBA the NBA's combine so to speak because everybody's out there everybody's having a good time also doing some business work but knows this is the last part before leading to vacations for most of these people during the offseason. As I said, Mike Weiner served as the Summer Pacers head coach. He's one of Rick Carlisle's top assistants. You'll see him handle a lot of things come the offense uh, with the Pacers come the regular season. And right next to him on the bench were several of the assistants, like Jenny Busick, like Ronald Norit, Gennaro Pargo, who's in player development joined them for a couple of games he's he was playing in the big three he was working out tj warren but it was just cool to see so many of the staff members too like patrick gilbert a guy is guarantee you guys don't know well he's a third athletic trainer he served as the head athletic trainer in vegas and an assistant for the mad ants served as his assistant out there so that was really cool in terms of players chris duarte lottery pick Boy, he was good. He was special. He was everything I expected, and then some, with the caveat that it's just Summer League. Much like it's just preseason, it's just Summer League. So for Chris Duarte, you expect him to perform well. You expect him to beat most of the competition. He's a lottery pick. In a couple years, he should be good enough at minimum to not play there ever again. The best players don't play more than a year or two there, although it was kind of hilarious because there was a team out there that had guys like Kenneth Fareed, Michael Beasley, and part of me respects that, that the guys are willing to put their ego in check to play with those teams out there. Maybe I think it was Portland. But at the same time, think about what they're doing. They're taking away a first opportunity for a rookie, for a guy who played overseas, guy that just needs to be seen by scouts could maybe make a difference. Probably not, but that's something to consider there. Fred Jones ran into him, the former Pacers first-round pick, obviously an Oregon alum. Talked with him about Chris Duarte, his game, the advice he gave him. You can read all about that at fieldhousefiles.com. Ran into college coaches. Ran into Desmond Bain. And sat with him for a little bit during a game. How he mentioned he was talking about, hey, I'm I'm due for a new agent. I'm I'm seeking it out. And that's just not a fun process. And ultimately he selected one and made official 
this week, Jim Tanner of Tandem Sports and Entertainment. While it's notable here locally, uh, he represented Thad Young, also represented more specifically Tamika Catchings. Spent extensive time talking with Isaiah Jackson after one of the games. I really like him and his attitude uh, and how he's willing to learn, willing to embrace what he knows and what he doesn't. Understanding that he's very raw, but at the same time showed a lot of bright spots. His rebound, his ability to block shots. We'll never forget right in that final game where he set the summer league record, matched it for block shots, I think, with seven. It was really impressive what he was able to do there. However, I think like you, we might all be wondering is, all right, what are we doing here in the front court with the true pacers? Because there's too many. There's a log jam. You got Domas, you got Miles, you got Goga, now Isaiah Jackson. That's four big men, centers that all need time, all need reps. But it was really interesting, one last thing with Isaiah Jackson, to see what went down during the first game in Vegas for them. Well, first of all, technically their first game got postponed because of the COVID outbreak with the Washington Wizards with their coaching staff, and therefore some players were close contact and all that. And I was on the plane headed out to Vegas for that first game on that Sunday when it was announced that, hey, that first game, they can't get it in because the Wizards do not have enough players. So then in the meantime, Pacers were waiting for clearance for Isaiah Jackson. The team had been together for almost a week, but he hadn't been able to do anything except by himself. Shoot, walk through dummy plays, those type of things, but mostly watch with the coaching staff all helping him out. And so that first game beforehand, the front office said, hey, Isaiah Jackson, dress, be prepared to go. Hopefully we'll get the clearance. So there's Chad Buchanan. He's watching, sitting near next to Rick Carlisle, Lloyd Pierce, right behind Miles Turner. He's waiting on his phone to ring, waiting on clearance from the league and from the other team because one player in the deal uh, had to pass a physical for it to all become official. I know they had announced it a couple days before that, but that's ultimately what it was. And I, I did talk with Chad Buchanan before taking off from Vegas, and you can re- also read that one-on-one conversation, which I would highly recommend at fieldhousefiles.com. But Chad was waiting, as he explained, uh, for that text. He finally got it, and the timing wasn't great because it came near that end of the fir- first quarter. I- I'm talking less than a minute left when Benny Boatwright got injured, right? Leg injury, and guess what? It was Isaiah Jackson right there to help him up, allow for him to put an arm around him and walk him to the tunnel. And at that point is when Chad got the text and said, hey, Isaiah, go back. Thumbs up. You are good to go. Kiefer Sykes is a great story. Guy that spent most of his time overseas from Chicago, Midwest area, played at Wisconsin, Green Bay, and he's just looking for an opportunity to get back in the league after spending like seven years overseas. And he discussed in a conversation with me how just how uncomfortable and lonely everything was this past year. Even FaceTime wasn't easy for him and his two kids and all of that. So he instructed his agent, hey, find a way to get me back in the States. I'll learn it. I want to do it. I want to make it happen. So the Pacers signed him to a training camp deal. Technically, it's called an Exhibit 10 deal. And so he played in summer league with the team and will be in training camp with the Pacers. Teams are allowed to have 20 players in camp. So that includes the 15 full-time NBA guys, two two-way contracts, and three training camp invites, one of which is Kiefer Sykes. And he started in three games. They won all three games. And so now I just look forward to see more from him in camp. That third point guard spot kind of open, especially more so now with Edmund Sumner essentially missing the season. Brutal injury suffered by him last week, rupturing his left Achilles. 
and he had surgery this week to repair it uh, with a great doctor out in New York. But that that is an injury that keeps you out minimum nine months, probably about a year to comfortably come back, especially for Ed, who's in a contract year. Uh, not great timing for him. The plus side that I do like to point out is how at least his money, his contract, over $2 million for this season is guaranteed. But he's entering his prime. He's just 25. He's gone through a lot, gone through more than most pl- people should. Really anyone should at this point in his career, his life. Uh, I still remember exactly one year after his brother died from cancer was when he had his two-way contract converted into his first NBA deal, something he and probably I won't ever forget. The other thing notable that went down in Vegas was, I guess, who wasn't there, and that was Goga Pataze, and that's because of uh, death in his family. He went back home to Georgia, uh, as I all reported at fieldhousefiles.com, and therefore he did not participate in Summer League again, and, and I don't fault him at all. He did the right thing, but from a basketball standpoint, oh, Heartbreaking, not ideal. You want to see him out there. You want to see him in the new system with Rick Carlisle able to work with him daily out there in Vegas, that type of thing. Uh, again, I, I totally excuse it and totally get it, but heartbreaking. for had those visa issues and last year canceled and then this year because of everything, unable to play. Lastly, the other thing I thought was very notable was Keelan Morton. Keelan went out to Vegas. He was there for a couple days, was with the Pacers staff and such, worked out out there. Well, the Pacers twice decided to push back his contract guarantee date. It's good for the team because it gives them flexibility. The Pacers right now have a full roster talking about NBA contracts, 15 of them. Yes, O'Shea Brissett's is not fully guaranteed for the next two years, and they could cut him at any time without costing them a dime. But I think he's part of this team. How did you not like what he did last season for this group? He was a gym, as I wrote. And so I really want to see him with a full training camp, a full opportunity to learn his teammates and such, rather than being thrown in the fire for the final two months of the season. For Keelan, he might have gotten some guaranteed money. You know, in these typical situations, they might give him $50,000 each time to push it back. Even though, uh, you know, his contract's over over a million dollars, this would at least give him some guaranteed money. It also suggests, you know, he doesn't have many other options right now either, or he wants it badly to stay here in Indy because if someone's willing to sign him to a guaranteed contract right now, you would not have agreed to push back your contract not once but twice. You would have just taken the other deal. But Keelan is in Indy. He's been working out for much of the offseason right here. He's been at the Pacers practice facility as well. I just don't see him being part of this future with this team. There's a big log jam right there at that position, less so now with T.J. Warren and what the the team announcing, hey, it's been a slow recovery. I looked into it. Originally, I thought, hey, this probably will lead to a second surgery, and I got pushed back on that. Hey, don't assume that. Even though that's often the case, it may not be the case necessarily with T.J. Warren. It's just a complicated injury, one he has dealt with before, but it's frustrating, I know, for sure for him and especially for the team who really has not had a full strength. T.J. Warren and more than a year and half here, and they were really eager to see how he could contribute. Could he you know, be that leading scorer yet again, or what would he look like? And by the way, he is also entering a contract year. Again, Vegas was really good, really good for my soul, really good professionally and working and writing and able to produce some content out there. And then also I really enjoyed to try to see how this new coaching staff worked. How did they 
get things done. And they were very vocal, much louder than the previous coaching staff. They were coaching up effort. They were coaching up energy, raising everybody up. They encouraged three-point shooting, those sorts of things. But that's enough of me talking about Vegas. Let's get into my conversation with Sam Amick. He's a guy I spent time with out there, a couple beers with certainly, uh, one, one or two nights. And we get into all kinds of things about the Pacers, Nate Bjorkren, what went wrong, what to expect from Rick Carlisle, what the league is doing about Ben Simmons right now, kind of in flux. Is he going to be there in Philly when the season starts? It's certainly looking that way at this point in time. And by the way, this interview with Sam was recorded right after we got back from Vegas, probably a couple weeks ago. So you'll reference that as well. But I think you'll really enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Sam Amick, senior writer at The Athletic. Sam, it was just so good to see you, to see everybody out at Vegas this last couple of weeks. I feel like all of us just needed that beyond the basketball. What about you? No, I agree, Scott. It, it was great to see you. It, it's great to hear your voice again. It's funny. Um, I'm trying to think back to exactly where <laughs> I saw you for the first time in Vegas, but but you were one of the people during my visit where, if I'm being honest, like because we haven't seen people within the industry, you know, at least in mass like that in yeah. a while, it was like, testing you know like i'm used to seeing you in downtown indianapolis you know and so when i first saw you it was like oh damn that's scott okay and 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 even you know another one that comes to mind our, our nets beat writer at the athletic alex schiffer is a guy that I'd, I'd spoken to dozens of times over the phone and on you know facetime even and i never met him in person and then i see this guy roll up and he's bigger than I imagined and I couldn't quite place his face and you're, you're kind of going, Oh, okay. Good to meet you too. But it was all in all, it was great to see people in the media. Great to see people around the league. Even if we, it was through a mask of course, uh, for the most part, but, yeah, much needed uh, kind of breath of fresh air for the business. Yeah, I'm used to back when we were teammates. I mean, there would be times you'd be working late at the Sheridan and I'd come over and we'd just have a drink and work and and that type right, of thing. Because right. And I appreciated that, quite honestly, because here in Indy, we just don't get the national coverage, the national writers, my national friends to come through as much. So I appreciate it. I know the team appreciates it. But to be there and, and for me to be doing in-person interviews, like that's the thing I, I don't think fans maybe understand how important those are I joked with people but it was sincere at my hotel I couldn't stop running into Ty Lue and Brian Shaw and so yeah I got clarity <laughs> from Brian Shaw about his candidacy for the Pacers job and just little things like that where they may not return a phone call or you may not have that time um, on the side after a game that be incredibly valuable and either maybe you report it, maybe you don't, but it helps shape your opinion and your knowledge and what you know about a particular story, um, whether it comes to light or not. 100%. I mean, I had those kinds of interactions with executives, with agents, and, and to be honest, the, the, the people that your listeners care about the most are the, the better players in the league. And, and along those lines, you know, I, I, I was pretty – satisfied with, you know, even some of the, the re-engagements, if you will, that I had on that front. I, I got sure. to talk to Giannis Antetokounmpo when he came to see his brother Alex play for the Kings Summer League team. And after the game ended, uh, myself and our Bucks beat writer, Eric Name, had probably talked to Giannis for about 10 minutes. And, and that's the kind of stuff that doesn't end up, you know, you're not writing anything that night, but it's just another chance to, to re-engage and, and talk to Draymond Green, talk to Steph Curry. So, that's what summer league has always been has been not only the young talent that comes out and tries to show out, but the, even the coaches that are trying to 
impress these summer league coaches more often than not are either like end of the front row assistant coaches or maybe even back of bench assistants that are getting uh, a shot to run the show themselves. And then you have the media component and then you have the fans. It's just everybody, you know, is, is all in one spot. So uh, it was good to be there. I will say my disclaimer is I'm still very much looking forward to, you know, hopefully next summer having it be even more normal because as you know, it was, you know, the, the media access was different because there were still restrictions, obviously COVID related. And then uh, just the general sense of still having to, to be uh, concerned about what's happening in the country and the world was still there, but it was a whole lot better than, than where we were a year <laughs> you know, before. Yeah, for us on a very basic level, for instance, there's a great networking and chatting that goes on in what we kind of call the pit down at Thomas and Mac, where you hang out and there's people like yourself, national guys and agents and things like that. Well, I kind of did that for one of the games. I got there a minute early. And kind of got yelled at, uh, you know, hey, you're, you're here too early. <laughs> it's like, well, okay, it wasn't exactly right. on purpose. Nobody got hurt in the process. And usually that's where some good conversations are had. And the other thing is, especially local guys like myself, I like going to the other press conferences and seeing what is said and asked and those sorts of things. Normally you just show up. Well, here you had to RSVP basically 24 hours in advance. And so in turn, that never really happened. And, and I think it actually hurts a lot of the younger guys. Like, for instance, I would cover guys who played ball in the state. You know, they may play for the Kings, like Kyle Guy, for example. But you miss out on those opportunities with all that. From a broad perspective, it's basically like the NBA convention, right? Where you see everybody, right. you get a lot of work done, and it's basically outside of Los Angeles, the off-season home for the NBA as I see it. It is. I mean, the mastermind of the whole thing is a guy named Warren Legary, mm -hmm. uh, who along with another gentleman named Albert, <clears throat> excuse me, Albert Hall, had you know put this together years and years ago and as the story goes and, and actually one of our people Tashawn Reed um, wrote a piece about it not too long ago that detailed the history and how it had been pitched to um, to David Stern and then ultimately you know got over the finish line after some you know some kind of pushback initially and, and there was a a sense early on and I'm forgetting the timeline I want to say around 04 that's right um, where yeah where the image and reputation of Vegas, I think was, was the uh, harming its candidacy, if you will, because before Vegas, you know, there was Long Beach, um, you know, Salt Lake City has had a summer league for a while, Orlando, of course. Yeah, Pacers but, always went to Orlando, because Larry Bird liked that because it was closed off media, agents only, right. and that was it. Right, right. And so the Vegas kind of Sin City label would hurt it early on where the NBA was concerned about, you know, inviting that element, uh, you know, and combining that with the, all their players, if you will. Eventually they got over that and it's been a really good event. So, to you know, you, you talk about the pit and different interactions and how things were different. Um, the one that, that I think for me typified this experience being a little different was I, like you, I was leaving the pit one day after doing one of the brief press conference sessions and came up on a heck of a trio. It was Adam Silver, commissioner, of course. Uh, Masai Ujiri recently re-signed, mm -hmm. uh, Toronto Raptors executive, the president up there. And uh, and then Warren Legary, who I just mentioned, the guy who kind of created Summer League in Las Vegas. Three guys who I know fairly well and, and who in normal times I would stop and find a way to say hello and, and chit-chat with them for a couple of minutes. And for what I do for a living – you know, that's why you go to Vegas. It's, it's pretty tough to get, you know, that 
particular uh, collection of talent, if you will, in the same spot. Well, as I stopped to talk to them, uh, you know, just don't worry, Scott, you weren't getting picked on as a local <laughs> guy. Even us national guys kind of got run out of there. I mean, I was told, you know, in no uncertain terms that I needed to keep moving. And, and so it's, it's all, of course, uh, intended with, you know, the best of intentions, trying to keep the players safe, trying to keep the business uh, afloat, if you will. But uh, again, hopefully we, uh, we get back to the normal stuff at some point. hundred percent there with you. And I hope it starts very soon with this upcoming season. With that said, for you, has it even felt like the last two seasons have been a blur? Cause I know for me, I mean, we have like a month till training camp and I feel like it's been nonstop. Yeah, I'm with you. In fact, um, <laughs> it's a funny way of putting it. Uh, and I'm not even exaggerating after you and I chat today, I I'm committing to, uh, turning a corner and I'll probably be unplugging quite a bit. Like I actually took time off this week and, but it's, Good. it's one of those staycations, if you will, where, but it, but it relates to your question. Like, I feel like there's been this two year window and it's not just a matter of it being nonstop. Cause there's been time when it was the opposite problem where you had not a matter of downtime, but you just had, it was so challenging to, to come up with good stories and to remain productive and to feel good about your work because of the circumstances of the situation, right? And so, you know, one way or another, it's been about a two-year period of where it's been tough to to do this media job where we live and breathe off of being there in person, having events like Summer League. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm disconnecting for a bit here because um, the turnaround is fairly quick. You're talking late next month we get back to training camp. And I looked at the calendar yesterday, Scott, and it just kind of struck me that, you know, as we sit here in, in mid-August right now, um, I, I, I forgot, I guess, that a year ago at this point, you know, I was still six weeks away from being done with the Orlando bubble, which is just a kind of a crazy thing to think about that, you know, last year we pushed through October, you know, and, and the way we did it at our place, as you know, is I covered the second half of the Orlando bubble. So that was there every day living inside that environment and and our guy Joe Barden covered the first half so it's like man between the bubble you know things like summer league covering these playoffs where I traveled for the west finals and the finals you know and we had in-person press conferences but no other access beyond that um, it's just been so surreal and so different from what we're used to doing that uh that I think all of us need a little blow here. Yeah, and this extends to everyone, I think, within the NBA. So, for example, I see a guy like Miles Turner is in the middle of nowhere in Colorado, and I'm like, good for him. That's excellent. Just clear your mind. Do whatever you want. Rest up um, right. because it has been a grind. It speaks front office executives. Hopefully they're getting out for the next two or three weeks as much as they can or alternating time off, um, that type of thing, because otherwise you're not at your best. And so I think that's what we've all kind of seen here especially recently with these ongoing two years. Pacers made one significant change, and that was making a second coaching change for the second time in eight months from Nate Bjorkren to uh, Rick Carlisle. Before we get to Rick, do you have any thoughts on uh, kind of what went wrong with Nate and any kind of chatter that you perhaps heard either league-wide about the fallout or, I don't know, people laughing at the Pacers or that decision or anything like that? For one, and I feel like you and I probably talked about this in Vegas a little bit, but that whole situation was a reminder to me. This is a, this is a funny thing to say to you, because listen, you're very good in general. You're, you're very good on the Pacers in particular. And you know, the, the value, whether it's the athletic or whether it's another media outlet 
of having, you know, somebody covering a team every single day is tremendous. And I think the Bjorkren story kind of showed why it reminded us why, meaning that there was a lot of noise all season long about players being so frustrated with Nate, but it was almost as if, you know, those national folks like myself who, you know, have a harder time sometimes getting all the way to the heart of the story because you're not there every single day. Um, it becomes, you know, the, there's stories like that, that if Nate put it this way, if Nate was coaching in, you know, anywhere in California, frankly, uh, or in New York or Chicago or one of those places, then that story would have probably become a bigger story much, much sooner. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that it, by the time we all started reporting on that frustration, it was like, you know, he was from a coaching standpoint, kind of a dead man walking already. And we saw how it played out. So, you know, they, the players, my understanding, you know, they, they had gone from the taskmaster, so to speak, I'm, I'm, I'm talking reputation, you know, Nate McMillan, if you had a complaint as a player of him at the time, it was, you know, not player friendly enough. The irony is that most NBA teams, in my experience, they always then hire like the opposite, right? Like yep, the overcorrection. A few times. Yeah, they overcorrect, and this time they didn't. Um, you know, now I think the Pacers would probably tell you that during the interview process, he, Nate painted a different picture than what he ultimately, you know, the way he kind of handled the job. But regardless, it was like, you know, the, the players with Bjorkren in town, then it was almost like, wait a minute, like I thought this is the kind of stuff we were getting away from, and this is even more um, kind of unwelcome, if you will. So. You know, we saw what happened there, and and now here comes Rick Carlisle, who, I mean, Rick doesn't suffer any fools either, for what it's worth. This is not a guy that, I mean, he adjusted to Luka Doncic and Dallas, but that, I would argue, was out of necessity because Rick knows talent, and Rick knows that, you know, Luka had quickly played so well and impressed the right people to the point where he had most of the power and the influence in that situation, so... Uh, Rick with this group, you know, I mean, I do think it's the type of thing that could elevate them. Um, I find the Pacers interesting in general because you do, there's always like this kind of grumbling underneath the surface from some of their most important players, at least in terms of their camps, if you will. Yeah. But they, there's also a sense that, you know, um, that, that the guys aren't more outspoken about this because there's a lot of good that comes with, playing for that organization and, and a lot of guys that have had individual success. And, and the key this year, of course, is to get back on the track collectively and see what they can do. Yeah, where I think Rick Carlisle immediately helps you is, number one, the credibility, and that starts with his staff. And that was the biggest telling point, I think, Sam, was the staff that Nate failed to hire and to surround him. You look around the league, even a guy like Steve Nash, I mean, one of his top assistants, becoming a first-year head coach, was Mike D'Antoni. Nate didn't have that. In fact, he needed help hiring his assistants, whereas Rick, head of the Coaches Association, uh, hired, right. um, I mean, Lloyd Pierce, former head coach. Ronald Nord, a local guy, went to Butler. There's that story, but also maybe a head coach in three or four-year type thing. So you get the Carlisle bump both from him, but also I think his staff. And then more than anything, it's just the health because this team never was able to see exactly what it could do because of health. Uh, Victor, we had that drama. Um, then him traded. T.J. Warren didn't play more than four games, and he was their leading scorer the last year. So if you have that plus a 
competent head coach is what I say. Pacers should get back to at least what they always were, and that's being a playoff team. Then the goal has to be to at least win a series, which they haven't done since 2014. Yeah, no, that's all fair. I mean, the one thing I would add on, and I'm curious if you have any opinion here, is that, you know, we – it's funny, a couple years ago you you heard chatter about Sabonis and and does he want to be there, and the next thing you know they extended him and and that narrative kind of went away. You know, there was – more chatter towards the end of last year and, and even that remains now about Malcolm and the question of, you know, how does he see them? How does the organization, uh, you know, looking at him and, and, you know, the key question of, you know, Kevin Pritchard and what he wants to do with this roster at a time when I think there's with good reason, a fair amount of pressure on him, at least again, outside looking in, you're there every day, but I think anytime you, you swing and miss on these coaching hires for one, that, applies pressure it's a little bit analogous to dave griffin in new orleans right where sure. you know you you show alvin gentry the door you bring in stan van gundy and pay him a bunch of money and it doesn't work and a year later you're bringing in willie green so um you know from nate to nate the two nates and then uh, following up now with rick you know some of that spotlight is going to be on the pacers front office too yeah, you're right about Domas. I'll start there. And and that's a guy I was told a couple of years ago to pay close attention to about how he feels, how he acts, who he surrounds himself with, those sorts of things, to just keep a close eye on him. I don't fault him at all, but he's a guy, for example, this offseason hadn't been around at all. But again, bizarre last couple of years. He also tried to qualify with Lithuania for the Olympics and just got married. So those are significant events in his life, so I don't discredit him there. Um, Malcolm Brogdon, you're right. And he's a guy, for whatever reason, fans are just over here in Indy. They, they just don't like his fit. He has not been the leader that I think the Pacers thought he was a year and a half ago, and I say that because even in his end-of-season press conference, Sam, <laughs> Kevin Pritchard basically singled him out without doing so, saying, hey, this roster doesn't have leaders. We had nobody in the locker room when things got, went south stepping up. Well, that wasn't what he was saying before the year. He was saying, hey, if Malcolm goes to visit anywhere, I'm going with him. Whatever he does, I'll go with him. I'm right behind him. And so I think that was a a challenge issued to both Malcolm and the entire roster. I think no one on this roster is good enough to be untradeable. But if I had to take a stab, I would say Karis LeVert's the guy, actually. You're probably building around. And you did mention Kevin. My sense, Sam, is he's not in any trouble internally at all. But externally, he hears it on Twitter every single day. And that's actually why he tries to stay off of it. Because of how fans feel about some of the moves he's made, especially with the coaching hire. But that'll be interesting. He's actually delegated and trying to put Chad Buchanan out there more as GM to do interviews. And do more in the spotlight, which he doesn't like doing as much. So I thought that was tactically an interesting decision on his part. No question. So, I mean, it's always a shared thing, but we were... uh... I told you off air, I had joined my buddy uh, Howard Beck on his SI podcast recently, and mm-hmm. we were trying to analyze the East and, and figure out where the Pacers fall. And, you know, I don't know ultimately what that looks like. You know, um, it just wasn't that long ago that we thought they were kind of firmly entrenched as like a, a top six team in the East. And, and they still have talent, you know what I mean? And the Levert move in particular, um, you know, all of it, you know, looks good, all things considered with, with all the teams and all the moving parts in that particular trade, you know, for them to get in the way they did, you know, was a good thing with the Oladipo chapter coming to an end. But 
you know, I'm curious to see where they land in the East. I won't go down the list or try to, I hate that task of right. Like rank them right now. Go like, can we at sure, least see sure. a couple preseason games? I'm one of those who takes a very conservative approach, hates, you know, the, you know, the rankings or the, the rankings after a draft. I laugh at all that stuff. I get it. But nonetheless, I think the Pacers are probably firmly in the playoffs, assuming they have health. My biggest question mark, and really this for the entire East, is Philly. And that was one thing everybody was uh, around us was talking about while out in Vegas, is what do you do with Ben Simmons? Does he get moved? Is it Damian Lillard coming their way? In general, do you expect anything to happen maybe before the season? Can you imagine him being there throughout this entire year talking about Ben Simmons? Likely not, you know, and, and I'm certainly not the only one to say this, but you the one kind of moving target or thing that's hard to handicap is that the Sixers' top executive, of course, is Daryl Morey. And of anybody in the NBA, if, if you kind of ask people, you know, which executive would be comfortable leaving players in an uncomfortable situation <laughs> without making a move that, that the rest of the world thinks might be completely necessary. I think Daryl Morey would top everybody's list and it's because he looks at the game and the players and all, you know, everything that he's paid to do very transactionally. And that's not a criticism by any means, but it's just in Daryl's brain, the idea of succumbing to a trade of any kind when what he's getting in return and what his team is getting in return is you know significantly below his opinion of market value, then it just doesn't process. I mean, that's like putting in a, a software program that just won't load for him. You know what I mean? Like that's not, and he's done it. I'm not trying to pretend that he hasn't lost trades. In fact, I know for a fact that, you know, if he was drinking that truth serum and reflecting on the Russell Westbrook trade that he did in Houston not long before he left for Philly, you know, that's one where you look at and say, Okay, the, the the Rockets kind of got hat on that one, and he doesn't want those types of moves on his resume. So everybody else feels like he's got to make a move because there's no way after the comments that were made by Joel Embiid and Doc Rivers after the playoffs last year, like you know they can't share the same room with Ben again, can they? And then you kind of ask yourself like, ah, I don't know, maybe. Um, I just don't know the landing spot. Obviously, if I did, I'd be breaking news right now, but like. You mentioned Damian Lillard in Portland. I do think there's something to the idea that, you know, Philly would love for Dame to come their way. And it's almost like there's a, on their side anyway, like a potential waiting game where they're keeping the price very high on Simmons to let the Lillard situation unfold. But let's just go ahead and say that that never transpires because I think if Damian wanted to be in Philly and that was like on his proverbial list, I think that would probably have already happened. So if not Portland, you know, then where, you know what I mean? And there's plenty of other candidates, but it just, you know, for now we continue to hear that, you know, you're talking about um, like with the Warriors, for instance, you know, the, the report that was accurate from Keith Pompey of the Philly Inquirer that, you know, the Philly had been asking for, Wiseman and Wiggins and uh, two first, and then I think control of two other picks, you know, just a, a big time haul. Um, that's just, there's no other package looming out there that is going to meet that price. So the price certainly has got to fall at some point. One big picture question. I'm curious if you've ever even given this thought. 
is what do these smaller markets, what can be done, if anything? I, I wonder about teams like the Pacers, like the Charlotte Hornets, the Magic. It seems like the only recipe to win is strike lightning, right, with a Giannis, which a franchise player and get lucky that they want to stay here because the Pacers had that to an extent with Paul George. They had that somewhat with Victor before he got hurt and then wanted out. Outside of that, you look around free agency anyway, and all the stars essentially are going, you know, L.A.'s, maybe soon New York, Miami. I just wonder about the landscape of the league. Would it be healthy? It would be healthier to see more of these teams have a franchise guy. Like, the Cavs, to me, are on an island that no one pays attention to right now, for example, outside of maybe the Kevin Love news. That's not good. No, I agree. I hear you. I mean, I don't know the answer. You know, it's funny. I just watched the uh, Malice at the Palace documentary on Netflix the other day, and, you know, you get reminded of Reggie Miller and how he was wired and and just how here you get this guy who um, came up in L.A., and who was more than happy to be the face of the Indiana Pacers for so many years. And that's very rare because what we see more often than not, especially from American born players is a a real, um, you know, preference for the big cities, you know, the Zion Williamson thing comes to mind where you're already hearing noise about Mm -hmm. him potentially wanting out to go to New York, you know, if things don't get better in new Orleans, Um, the Milwaukee situation I've and, and this is a smaller sample size, but I've had this conversation with other people where the Giannis dynamic fascinates me because I'm starting to have the opinion that some international players who don't and I can relate as a guy who grew up in Northern California, like you have certain perspectives on the big cities and the way that this country uh, is kind of landscaped, and obviously being a, an American league other than you know, the squad up in Toronto that, you know, Giannis fascinates me because I feel like for a guy whose parents from from Nigeria who grew up in Greece, you know, Milwaukee was America for him. You know what I mean? It was his first taste of America at a pretty young age. And then when he came up on his key decision of whether or not to sign his Supermax two summers ago now, you know, I mean, there's people with the Bucks who firmly believe that that it's actually the the spotlight that's not as bright that he found attractive. Um, And, you know, so for them, it works, right? And he signs the Supermax and they win a championship the next year. But, you know, again, more often than not, you see the Zions of the world and players like that who are looking to be elsewhere. And um, it, it does put a ton of pressure on these small market teams, because even if you do hit in the draft in a major way and you get yourself an all-star caliber player, you know, the clock feels like it's ticking really, really quickly. And that's, you know, a lot of times just not something that the bigger cities face. Yeah. And for example, right here in Indy, it feels like right now they're just on that treadmill of the mediocrity, always good, never great, never awful. Haven't drafted inside the top 10 since 1989, but you know, this year, one TNT game, and that's it. But that's kind of what fans here, I think, are used to. One last question. It's for also you. a choice, Go though, ahead. right, Scott? Sorry to cut you off. But, like, it, it's fascinating to me, especially with the Paul George thread. You know, Paul goes from Indy to OKC. You know, OKC has decided to to cash all of its chips in, and, and now it's just stocked with 
you know, they were they were willing to lose games, but then they actually weren't losing games. Chris Paul was really good two seasons ago now, and and then they you know took certainly a big step backwards last year and went closer to the you know the tanking approach. But like that's a small market team that that you know we don't know what they're going to do going forward, but they have the assets now to at least you know satiate any. I mean, even like a Ben Simmons, I, I don't I don't think Ben's going right. to be excited about playing there, but. <laughs> You know, you have whatever, uh, or at least most of what Philly could possibly want, save for the, uh, you know, unless you're going to give them a Shea Gilgis Alexander type, which they're, they're probably not going to do. But, like, it's it's also two different approaches. And I think it's, I don't know which way is better, but, like, in Indy, you can, you've always gotten the sense, at least in this kind of genre or generation, rather, that they 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 just know the importance of, uh, profitability, if you will, they know the importance of of getting that first round playoff revenue and keeping the fans engaged throughout the regular season. And you know, everybody quietly knows that you know that there's not a title contention experience coming anytime soon. But but it's a whole lot better than the alternative. Yeah, and that that's all correct for sure. But I also understand some of it, meaning. Same. There's like no na- there's no local TV coverage of the team right now, and it's some of the most exciting time, right? With the draft and free agency and all that, they can't get coverage there. So therefore, I, I look ahead and you know the Thunder, for example, won 22 games last year. I would imagine season ticket sales would be in half if the Pacers ever right. had a 22 win season. So part of me is like, yeah, that's a realistic thought because what will happen is fans, which are kind of fair weather here, will turn their attention to the Colts even more so or to Indiana right. basketball at college, Purdue. And th- that's where I do understand that thought. Sure. So no, it's a you. fascinating analysis for sure. That's probably a, a whole podcast in its own right. I wanted to end on a, a personal note. I'm curious because I'm more this way as well. A lot more of your writing I find um, at theathletic.com is human profile, personal, one-on-one, sit-downs, uh, explain to me why you felt that way. Have you always been that kind of writer? And why do you get more joy out of that? A lot of us try to find niche um, within the industry, right? Some it's breaking news. Some it's, you know, analytics. I find this to be yours. Like, I remember a great series with Mike D'Antoni, I think two, three years ago. It all runs together. You were in his coaches' meetings and were able to share stuff. I love that stuff and that process. No, I appreciate the question. I would probably answer it by saying, I mean, yes, I've always enjoyed the human interest component no matter what sport I was covering um you know if you go back to my high school coverage days meaning when I was covering high schools um you know I used to profile 17 year olds where you had to write 900 words on a 17 year old athlete and it's like you're pulling teeth to find (laughs) something relatable about that young athlete and something that is going to at that time, and I'm dating myself, but you know, your, your, your goal is to be interesting enough to get the reader to, to move off the front page and come with you to the jump page. You know what I mean? And that took, uh, I mean, I do try, I do enjoy trying to understand people and, you know, I had to sit down with, with Monty Williams from Vegas where, um, what I, I will say, one of the things I enjoy about the athletic is like, there's times like an interview like this where, you know, I mean, this thing, Scott, was 6,400 words. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like when I was at USA Today or, or even even SI, when I was at Sports Illustrated, 
I probably couldn't have gotten all 6,400 words published. And now SI, we probably would have done two twenty five hundred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do yeah. a two parter. But this was like, you know what? It's the dog days of summer. It's all just one good conversation. We're not expecting to, this is not one of those stories where you say, Oh, we're going viral with this one, baby. Like, no, it's just a good quality conversation. But you walk away feeling like you understand the person better. And, um, and it brings, not to sound corny, but it brings the fan closer to the people who they, they enjoy following. And that ultimately is what we do. And I do think uh, that I, you know, I've developed a thing and I enjoy it is like kind of a, a way of just figuring out how some of these people tick and sharing that. And I, you know, I still enjoy doing that. I enjoy the heck out of, you know, the, there's still a lot of coverage opportunities in this league um, when it comes to why certain things actually happen. Sure. Uh, you know, one of my favorite stories, you know, this year was writing about the Dallas Mavericks front office situation with Tim Cato. And, and, and even that has a human component, like, all right, behind the scenes, you know, this person is not getting along with that person. And here's why this is happening. And just the explainer stuff um, that goes deeper than, than uh than a lot of the coverage so but the human stuff you know it's um it keeps me going because you know there are times when analyzing the eighth guy on each roster doesn't uh, get me excited like it used to <laughs> it's that and you don't remember that 102 to 99 score game but you might remember right. a couple anecdotes from your story or somebody else's and you root for the guy or root for the coach or didn't know that about the trainer. So I've, I've personally found myself going that way as well. And I just wanted to commend you on that. And I was just curious if you had always been that way or if kind of found that area to well, work I've best for you. Well, I've gotten away from it, Scott. And first of all, like, thanks for saying that. I mean, but I've gotten away from it or I had gotten away from it. And so it's like anything else where you got to make sure you're this kind of a job, again, not to sound melodramatic, but like, um, this is going to be a heck of a stretch. I just watched the documentary on um, Val Kilmer on Amazon Prime, and I thought it was fascinating because as an actor, he you know he's talking about like just trying to be creative, and it's just it, whether you're an actor or a writer or even an athlete, it's just like if you're not quote unquote creating in the kind of way that you find interesting and that excites you at all, then the audience is not going to be feeling it. And so uh, at the end of the day, that's why I a lot of times, you know, kind of lean the direction that you're noticing is that that stuff does energize me. Like sitting down with Monty Williams for an hour was my favorite hour of the Vegas trip. And you, you mean you know, it wasn't then, with me? Come on now. <laughs> it was, Scott. Sorry. I was, I was just trying to tie a bow on it. You know? <laughs> but I mean like that. And, and then and then it's fun because. It's funny because he did uh, he did an interview with ESPN recently that I didn't know he was doing. So when I saw that he did it, admittedly I was, you know, you get competitive and you're like, oh man, he did another big interview. And I and then immediately I was like, you know what? Like we had the conversation that we had, and it was a pretty good one. And you can't really replicate that. And so yep. that's the stuff where if you can get the access, which is where uh, I always appreciate people being willing to help because we do rely on the cooperation of other people is just a major, major part of our job. But when they give it and when, you know, you wind up feeling good about what you were able to, 
to, to kind of get from it, then, you know, that's a good day at the office. You probably got away from it in part because our access. Well, you can call people up, sure, but nothing beats grabbing coffee and actually having a face-to-face interaction and really – because you, you can read a lot from how a person feels about a question or their pauses and those sorts of – anyway, that's deep in the weeds here, but I enjoy it. And so good work, and I appreciate Thank you joining you. me. And hopefully uh, by the end of the day you can start that staycation you deserve. Appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. Be good, brother. That will do it for this episode of the Fieldhouse Files. My thanks again to Sam Amick, and thanks to you for listening to this podcast. Make sure you are subscribed here wherever you listen to your podcast as well at fieldhousefiles.com, and I'll talk to you again soon. Soon.